Hello. Welcome to My Camino, the podcast. I'm Dan Mullins, and it's great to have your company. I think the best way to talk to someone about the Camino is that little secret backdoor of gifts that come from it. And not try to talk him into it. Just talk about that you're as surprised as anybody that you walked away with the gifts that you did. And just hope they say, I want some gifts too. That's this week's guest, Molly Lord. And we'll get to Molly in just a moment. But first, this is a podcast about El Camino de Santiago, or the way of St. James. James was one of Christ's apostles. And the Camino is a pilgrimage. We're all facing our personal challenges. And if you're looking for an adventure to provide some levity in your life, the Camino is a very good place to start. I've only walked the Camino twice. It had such a big impact on me. I've now conducted more than 240 interviews with pilgrims from all over the world. And it keeps me connected to the Camino. I wish it were my feet connected to the Camino. (laughs) At the very least... It's my heart. And I love the connection, not just with the Camino, but the spirit of the Camino and atmosphere, of, if you like, of, of pilgrimage, but also with the people. And I think it's the people I miss the most, sitting in town squares, telling stories and talking and telling those stories about difficulties and, and overcoming them, talking about it, the triumph of, of some of that. And I remember sitting in the garden of the municipal albergue in Belorado, and one of our fellow pilgrims was having a birthday. I went upstairs to find the hospitalero. He was uh, fixing dinner. And I asked if I might buy a birthday cake for our pilgrim brother. The hospitalero said, head into town, go down this laneway and down these steps, down another laneway and knock on a timber door. And I went down and did exactly as he said. And here was this wooden door, you know, and I knocked, you know, and it was the back door of the shop because it was early in the evening and therefore siesta time in Spain. Nothing was open, but if you're in the know, as I was, they'll serve you out of the back door. I bought the most beautiful cake. I think it cost 12 euros. And I snuck it back into the kitchen of the albergue and I can still see our Danish friend's face as the hospitalero brought it out to the table, a big long table of pilgrims all singing happy birthday. And we sang songs and danced to see out the night. And a mother and a daughter from Ireland were sitting in a cafe a couple of days later and they called me over and they said, Dan, that birthday party was one of the favourite nights of our Camino so far. Music and dancing, to me, is pure joy. And it's a joy I can't shake. It's part of my very being. I'm a dreadful dancer, hopeless, but I love to dance. So who cares if you can or you can't dance, as long as you're enjoying it, right? But music shines in me like a light that I can't extinguish. It's been glowing since I was a boy. And I remember hearing and feeling the whirl of the Leslie Tone cabinet of the organ in church when I was an altar boy. I was like sitting on the side of the altar and I could feel the, the floor moving from the whirring of the speaker. I think I was like seven or eight years old. And I knew then... That's my heart and soul right there, my everything. I adore art. When I'm alone with my notes, my heart pounds and the tears stream from my eyes and my emotion and my joys are too much to bear. I wish I'd written that, but it's actually Giuseppe Verde. 
I adore art. When I am alone with my notes, my heart pounds and the tears stream from my eyes. And my emotion and my joys are too much to bear. Fantastic, isn't it? My guest this week is an American pilgrim, Molly Lord. And Molly's on the line from Colorado Springs. Welcome, pilgrim. Thank you, Dan. I'm so happy to be here. Let me begin by asking a really simple question. When did you discover your love of music? Ooh. So I am not a musician. However, from the time I dropped a needle on my first vinyl album, which was a Beatles album, I was fascinated and drawn to lyrics. You know, I guess I'm a poet at heart or something. And I'm one of those friends that would drive my girlfriend's crazy going, you got to listen to the songs. So early on, I was a fanatic about the meaning of a song. Well, then in high school, I had friends who played acoustic instruments, guitars and a fiddle, and the sound of acoustic somehow got under my skin. I don't know why or how, but Mm -hmm. it did, to the point where... To this day, I hear the opening of certain chords to certain songs, and I'm transported, like I I leave the room. And for years, I noticed this in myself, especially acoustic music. And um, I always thought, I want to find out what this is really about. Well, I started writing a screenplay. I'm a screenwriter, and... About 20 years ago, I was writing a screenplay on music and how music impacted these characters' lives over a 40-year period. And I realized that it was archetypes that cause us to respond to different music at various times. And archetypes can sound like a really intimidating sometimes boring word (laughs) from Psych 101, but we all speak archetype. We speak it fluently. An archetype is a human behavior pattern that we all recognize. Like if I were to say to you, um, uh, Mary, that Mary, she is the mother of our group of friends. Mother is an archetype. It's a universal pattern of human behavior. We all recognize it. We all know when we're in the midst of someone, whether they have a child or not, that they're the mothering type. And we pick up on their energy. We know people who are like the guy next door, that archetype. Um, We know the warrior, someone who's always goal-oriented and going for it and always has a goal. Y'all, we know when we're in the midst of a certain archetype. We might not have a name for it, but we know it. And so I realized that in my screenplay that my characters all took on different archetypes as they went through the hero's journey of this movie script. Well, my writing coach said, you know, you need to test your theory about archetypes in music, that it's music that evokes these archetypes, you need to test that. And so I pulled a bunch of guinea pigs in a room 20 or now 15 years ago to test it. 15 friends 
locked him in a room for a weekend, said, you can't leave until you give me feedback. And they did. And they said, this changed my life. Wow. You know, I've, I've always loved music. And I like to tell people about a new artist or, hey, have you heard this song? Or, But I've never had the chance to sit down and talk about music in my life and what it means and to discover what it's really doing when it crawls inside my head. This was amazing. And I learned about my behavior patterns and why I bug my wife so much or why I love my boss or, you know, so I was stunned because I was doing research and that they started begging me to do another one. So I did. And it has evolved over the years. I had another job at the time. I was a mediator at the district attorney's office and I was doing this as a hobby on the side and did a lot of research. I thought if I'm going to be messing with people's heads like this, I need to know what I'm doing. And so I went and studied under one of the best archetypal masters um, in Santa Barbara, California, and just got really solid in this thing about what happens when music enters our head and does a dance with our behavior patterns. So that's been my history with music. If anyone had ever told me 15 years ago, when I was a mediator, that I would someday be making a living, you know, talking about the Rolling Stones, the Beatles, and Mozart, I wouldn't have believed it because I'm not a musician. But it's in my blood. I'm a teacher at heart. Um, And, yeah, I just let the – I facilitate. I don't teach. Once I explain what an archetype is, we're often running in these workshops. It's called Tuned In, the Soundtrack of Your Life. And now I'm considered a music expert. It's hilarious. (laughs) Wow, what an extraordinary answer to a very simple question. Yeah, that'll teach you. Do you have any other questions? It could be scary. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, but but, uh, while I'm talking to you, right, um, I'm working on a new album and I'm sitting here in my studio at home. I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven guitars sitting here within reach, right? So I can... I can pick up. Oh my this is, word! This is my this is my little brother's guitar. This is uh, <laughs> right. I've got I've got my little ukulele that the the Bernie made for me. Um, oh, I love it. Yeah, I've got I've got instruments all around me here. It's it's every day of if, of my life. It's like uh, it's it's all I do. If I've had a really busy week, a really stressful week, I've got a pretty highfalutin job, executive producer of a you know, media organization, and everything. And right. I come home and I think, I'm just going to stand in the kitchen and listen to music. <laughs> it's Friday night. I don't watch, don't watch the football. I don't watch the – I just want to sit, stand in the kitchen and listen to music. It's, it's, it's just what I do and, and, and it's such a big part of who I am and, and who I've been. Um, you know, I, I was only just talking to my little sister this morning and we were talking about music. Um, my wife and I were talking about music this morning. It's such a big part of I am. Imagine that. Yeah, and here we are talking about it now. I'd really love to get into the, the, the nitty-gritty of it, as it were, but let's do that in a minute. Let's talk first about the Camino. How did the Camino come into okay. your life? You might tell us first about that 
pilgrimage and that journey, and that'll lead us perfectly, I think, into the music side of things. Tell us about the Camino and it you. It will. Okay. Well, five years ago, a man that I was dating mentioned that he had done the Camino a couple of years before then. And it's interesting, I, it, it registered with me. I rejected it, like immediately, I can't do that. And I dismissed it. I listened to his stories, and, but I immediately said, I can't do that. And I remember this sadness coming over me because I had, I had been injured 40 years ago in college. And though I had handled the injuries over the years, I stayed very active. I'm a hiker and a kayaker and a biker. And, but about six years ago, these injuries started raising their ugly heads again. And I wasn't able to fix it like I used to. And so that's why I was kind of sad when Patrick told me about the Camino that I knew I would have been interested in. But I thought, I can't go for an hour walk without coming home and being on ice. Yeah. You know, so I can't. What, 500 miles? Are you kidding me? So I dismissed it. Well, a couple years went by. And... um, I tore, so 40 years ago, I was attacked and beaten up in college by a stranger. It was a rape attempt. It, he did not succeed, but I was beaten very badly. And it messed up my low back, dislocated my knee. And those were the main injuries that I just wasn't able to completely kick. And um, though I worked on the emotional side of it for years, the physical hung on. And now, 40 years later, it was coming back with a vengeance, and it was ticking me off. So I went snowshoeing and ended up tearing the ligament in that same knee and then an ankle ligament in the other leg. I thought, you have got to be kidding me. Because there's a saying in my house that called, Molly's an accident waiting to happen. It started when I was little. I was adventurous and a little accident prone and not to mention then the attack in college. And then I applied to be the teacher in space for NASA back in 1985. You know, the Challenger space shuttle? Yeah. Yeah. I applied and made the first two cuts in that program to be the teacher that would go up in the Challenger space shuttle. And I wanted it so badly I could taste it. And I really thought it was mine when I made those first two cuts. And it started a battle with my mother telling me I had to withdraw my name because it's dangerous. And Molly, you know you're a accident waiting to happen. Well, I kicked that label and I wasn't going to fulfill that prophecy anymore. And it really was a big battle with my mother. Well, you know what happened to the challenge. I did not make the final cut. I really thought NASA and God had made a huge mistake, (laughs) and I was devastated when I didn't get it. Well, in 1986, that's the space shuttle that blew up with the teacher on it. Wow. And killed everyone. So my mom got to win. She won that battle, and I was 
devastated on another level of, oh my God, she's right. Maybe I am an accident waiting to happen. You know, I just dodged this bullet, but you know, it could have been me. And so it embedded this accident waiting to happen even more. So now fast forward, I'm have these injuries again. And I go back to New York to, or Pennsylvania to visit my sister. They have a sailboat. I'm on crutches. I have a brace on each leg. And she said, you just sit on the bow and enjoy your afternoon. So I got to be lazy. Well, we sailed past this beach that I hadn't been to in 40 years. And it was the beach where I had been attacked. And I was just stunned and thought, wow, here I am 40 years later, no emotional charge to the incident, but I'm sitting here with the same darn injuries. I've had enough. When I get home, I'm going to rehab these injuries. I don't know what it will take, but I will not stand for this accident waiting to happen anymore. I need a carrot. Well, this little voice in my head said, you're going to walk the Camino. And I said, oh, no, I'm not. So I had this battle with the voices in my head. I said, oh, no, I'm not walking the Camino. I didn't mean that. Like, I don't want a death march. I just want a carrot. Well, I said, okay, we'll take this up again when I get home. And I got home and two weeks later said, yeah, I'm going to walk the Camino. Wow. And I shocked myself. So that's like, it was 40 years getting to the Camino for me. And um, it took me, it was two years after that, I rehabbed my injuries and then spent a year getting ready. And May of 2019, I was in St. John. And did you walk on your own? Well, a friend from Denver did the first five days with me. She had, could carve some time out. And then she knew I wanted to do it alone. She called me five months before I left and said, what would you think about? And she posed the idea. And I said, you know what? I love the idea. So she came. And so we kind of broke ground together. You know, how do you do this thing? And we had some great laughs and it was hard to see her go. She couldn't wait to leave. You know how hard that first week is on the community. Yeah. She's like, I'm so out of here. And I kind of wanted to crawl in the train with her when she left Lagrono. So, but I, I did, I made it to Santiago on my own. Took me another four weeks and a few days, but I did it. I did it. Wow. That's so great. I love it. Did you find what you're looking for on the Camino? <sighs> yes. You know, I kept it open, what the Camino had for me. But what I brought to the Camino was a commitment to my body. You know, all these years of dealing with these injuries, it was like us and them. It was me and my body, separate entities. I needed it to show up for me. I needed it to do this, to do that. <sighs> I never really joined with my body until I made this decision to do the Camino. And I said, okay, we need to be a team. And I promised my body that it would get to call the shots because I've always called the shots. 
we need to kayak for the next five days, so you better show up back, you know. I was pretty demanding of my body and not very compassionate. Um, I wanted to forget that incident, and I didn't want it to run me. And so instead of being a partner with my body, I kind of was a bully. So when I went on the Camino, I said, new game, new game. You run the show. You say what you can do. I will do that. So the goal was not Santiago. The goal was to have my body call the shots and Molly listen. So I achieved that. When it needed to rest, I rested. When I got an infected blister, we finally went to the clinic. And when they said, swallow this antibiotic and don't you dare walk, for at least three days, we went to Lyon and we got a room and we held up for three days. So yes, I did achieve. By the time I ended, we ended, we were buds. My body and I were finally a team. And did you, did you make amends in a sense, Molly, if you ever could, with the assault after 40 years? Yes. I had already done that years ago. Right. It just, what was lingering was, was the injuries. Right. And, um, yeah, in fact, I reached a point where I even thank that man. I know he was part of my path. If it weren't for that attack, I would not have gotten involved in the world of holistic health. I was as healthy as I could be except for these injuries, you know, in every other way. And it opened up a whole new world for me and spirituality so, yeah, I had handled that part. Yeah, so he wasn't even an issue anymore. Yeah. It was scary, I have to say, doing this alone. Everyone who knew my history said, what, you're, you're doing it alone? Do you think that's smart? And I said, it's got to be. I've got to make it smart. I made the decision, and I'm going to make it the right one. So it was a big deal for me to... Go solo. Wow! After my friend left, yeah, 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 yeah. Gosh, I know, I, I know the walk um, out of Lorogno. Uh, that's a beautiful part of of the Camino. That's, but you are starting to get toward the Meseta. You're starting to get to that really challenging part of, of <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah, and you you did all yeah. of that on your own. Wow. Uh huh. You must have I did. And the sky is so big there. <laughs> I, the Nesetta was my favorite part. Yeah. Wow. I'm, yeah. I, I think that too. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I've, I was just telling the story this week about sitting in the town square in Relagos um, singing songs and and pilgrims from all around the world sitting singing songs together. Uh, it was just mm. such a magical time for all of us um not least yeah. not least of of, of the, the least aspect of it, it was that it had a hot shower that didn't turn off <laughs> in, <laughs> in Relagos that's what I remember as well when and when I think back to that the first time I stepped onto the Camino was not far from there a place called uh, Sahun it's exactly the halfway uh-huh. point of the Camino of Francis I was just absolutely yeah. thrilled I was bursting with excitement How, 
And now that you're back and you've had a couple of years to think about it and to reflect on it, how do you describe the energy of the Camino? Oh, my goodness. Um, you know, a lot of people use the word magic. Um, I've heard a lot of words to describe it. Yeah. Um, I really do believe that there, you know, my, my whole work with music is about the frequency and the energy around music. It's why it affects us like it does. Yeah. And I was aware when I went on the Camino from what I had heard friends say that what I couldn't do here, you know, when I tried to do 15 miles, I, I was a wreck. And I said, you want me to do this day after day? And they said, there is an energy that will carry you. I said, well, I, I need to believe you because I'm scared to death. I'm afraid they're going to have to helicopter me off a mountain or something. So when I talk to people, sometimes they have a heart. If, they, if they're on the side where they haven't experienced it, it's kind of hard to talk about the magic, I felt like I was, um, you know, when you draft behind a bike or a truck mm -hmm. and you're pulled along, I felt like the energy of all the pilgrims that have come before pulled me along. And that's hard to explain to someone who has questions. I remember this friend of mine said, um, he knew I had done it and his wife was kind of curious about it. And he said, you know... I think I'd rather do a cruise. <laughs> and he said, why would we sign up for crowded sleeping conditions, walking with a crowd, yeah. putting in a long day when we could go on a cruise and walk around and sightsee a bunch of towns and port and hike as long as we feel like we want to, then sleep that night in a luxurious bed and you know, we get carried to the next town by the ship and we don't have to walk and we arrive rested and we eat like kings, <laughs> you know. And I thought, well, how is he going to get this? But I said, you know what? You know, he also mentioned about, and we wouldn't get blisters. And I had to say um, that granted, to get out and experience the world, there's a lot of roads to do that. And you can find your intimacy in life through trips to different states or countries, and I'm sure touch on a lot of rich experiences. But in weighing that, I questioned, his name was Joe. I said, I questioned Joe if you could find real satisfaction with that word many. Because knowing you, I think you'd eventually find each one of those towns that your cruise ship stops in would be diminished by the ones that came before. And if you sleep in one king bed on that ship, instead of 33 different beds, and if you dive into the same smorgasbord every night with the same people, instead of dining in an albergue with 15 people from around the world, I'm not so sure you're going to have a fuller, more exciting life or vacation. And uh, we have friends that count the foreign countries they know, quote-unquote, by the number of plush hotels they've slept in, right, near the airport. Yeah. And I reminded him of that. And I said, you know, going on a cruise, you'll never risk experiencing the world as it is, you know, the sweaty bodies in a city and walking dusty back roads. 
And But that fear of intimacy that you have, sure, you're going to miss all the discomforts, but you're also going also gonna to miss the enduring satisfaction. And I said, I wouldn't trade one blister or one rainy, muddy day uh, and everything that that came to mean to me for 30 nights of your lobster. And he looked at me and said, oh, <laughs> now, will they do it? I don't know. But wow. I think the best way to talk to someone about the Camino is that little secret back door of gifts that come from it and not try to talk him into it, just Talk about that you're as surprised as anybody that you walked away with the gifts that you did and just hope they say, I want some gifts too. You know, I I think I want some gifts and you're right. I don't think a cruise ship gives me a gift. Yeah. Just gives me lobster. (laughs) (laughs) So. Wow. Yeah, that's fantastic. Molly, we talked at the top of the discussion about your music and your teachings and, and, and your life's work in many ways. You talked about the archetypes in music and, and, and in a sense, a, a sort of a defining of people and, and a, a means to sort of reflect who we are and, and music being able to, to sort of provide that reflection and that key to identity in a sense Take us, through, right. take us through that. I'm fascinated by it because obviously as a musician and, but also as a, a lover of music and I wonder how it defines us. Uh, take us through that. You might just reflect on that for yeah. us. Yeah. You mean more about the archetypes yeah. or more how music plays into it or both? Well, a bit of both, yeah. Both. Okay. So, yeah, everyone comes into this world with a certain number of archetypes, they seem to think it's about 12. 12 behavior patterns that make up our personality. That's why your personality is different from your wife's, from mine, from your friend's, from the guy at the supermarket. You all handle things differently based on the strengths or weaknesses that come from these patterns we're born with. Now, we're not stuck with just those. We can add to it. We can um, expand them and make them stronger. Like for me, one of my archetypes is the wanderer, and it's also the victim archetype. And you can look at my life and go, yep, I see the victim. And most would say, who would want to have victim as one of your 12 archetypes? Well, I would. Because once I mastered, once I woke up to, oh my gosh, I really have a tendency to um, go down the tubes with whether it's an injury, whether it's a drama happening, highly emotional, I can really go down the tubes with it. But now that I know that, I can master it and use it as my ally So my victim, inner victim archetype, is my best ally. I taught special education for years. My kids did not get away with anything. I did not let them play the victim because I can spot it. And I know how much it hurts to be teased and, you know, to be a special ed kid. 
But I also knew how to strengthen their victim because I did it. So once you master it, it becomes your ally. If you're someone who um, works too much, if your warrior archetype is always on overdrive, and you start realizing this is no way to live. My warrior is running the show. And you start mastering that warrior and you blend it with, say, the magician archetype, which is about the part of our psyche that can go over the game board of our life and look at what really matters. It's that really wise part of our psyche. It can help your warrior have a much more effective life. You're hustling when you need to and magical and synchronistic when you need to. You combine the two. So once you understand who's running you, you can say, wow, I want to use this to my advantage instead of letting it take me down. And you start getting a feel for what your archetypes are. Like yours is truly the, I mean, I'm just guessing, but from your energy, I can tell you're the magician archetype. You're the artist and you're a sage. So those three are amazing for a performer because you stop being egotistically a performer. You start weaving your music into the life that people are living so that they get it about how their life might be better through your music. So you've gotten off the ego bandwagon and using your sage and magician to deliver something that reaches someone's soul, not just sell them a CD, right? Does that make sense to you? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So once you look at the archetypes in your life, then you're on a roll. And they don't, yes, they can define you, but it's not a trap, it's not a box, it's just a guide. You know, it's your they're your allies. Here's our strength. So given you start realizing what archetypes are making up who you are, then you start looking at the music you're attracted to. And it does there's no right or wrong music. It's what feeds your soul? What raises your vibration? So our bodies are vibrating. It has a frequency at all times. When you're in a really low down, wanting to be in bed with the covers over your head, you are at one of the lowest frequencies you can be. If you were hooked up to a monitor, it would be almost flatline. So if you listen, you know, when you're in that state, have you ever been in that state and someone puts on a really upbeat, happy song and you go, oh, turn that crap off. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot listen to that because you can't meet it. That's not where you are. And a lot of people ask, well, should I listen to real depressing music? Oh, well, it depends. Do you listen to it and get worse? Because if you do, then turn that thing off. But if you listen to it and go, wow, this artist gets me. This artist has been where I have been. Then it's good for a while to have that resonate with you because once you feel heard by a piece of music, whether it has lyrics or not, then you start resonating with, I'm kind of part of this world again. Okay, 
this artist gets me. You know, I'm not totally isolated. Your frequency just went up. Then you think about your situation and you might get a little ticked off. Well, anger is better than depression, right? It's a higher frequency. At least you have a pulse. (laughs) And now you're angry. Yay! Listen to music that kind of feeds your anger for a while. But you don't want to live there. So you're going up the scale. Then you want to get to maybe just being frustrated. Well, frustration you can live with. It's a lot better than depression and despair, right? You are really, your frequency is much higher at frustration and worry and concern than it was at anger. So you're improving. So we go up the scale um, with music. We use, I mean, I don't, I bet you a playlist like a maniac, don't you? <laughs> totally. Knowing you? And I bet you've organized it by frequency and you don't even know it. Like you certainly, if you're going to clean out the garage or get a really, a, a job that you really need to hustle on, you're probably not going to put on Josh Groban or Whitney Houston, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you're just not. So you probably have, and a lot of listeners have, they've already organized some of their playlists, what they listen to when. And you've organized it based on the frequency in your nervous system when you need to do a certain task. Your lover archetype is going to put be in the mood for a certain type of music when you feel romantic, right? And when you're feeling like you really want to be optimistic, You're kind of in a worried mode, but you want to be optimistic. Going from worry to optimism isn't too big of a leap if you have the right playlist. Because it's music that says, look, I know things kind of suck right now, but it could be better. You don't want a song that goes, oh, life is grand, because your worrier inside your head is going, well, that's BS. You know, no life isn't grand. I'm worried. I'm concerned. But there is certain music that says, I see the light at the end of the tunnel. Do you? Yeah. There's a lot of songs that do that. And then your work can go, well, yeah, I guess I kind of do. I can buy that. And once you buy it, you're up to optimism. Like, whoa, you just jumped a lot of levels because music can take you there. It's amazing what music can do that a, a talk from a friend, they can't do it for you. Your best friend can't do it. Uh, Writing in your journal can't do it. That just drills it in even more. But music can start shifting you. It's magic. Wow. I just love that so much. That's great. Isn't that fun? It's just so great. I was in an awful job uh, 12 months ago. I I shouldn't have taken the job, but I did. And, And it was just an absolute disaster. And coming home each evening, I would get in the car and I'd put on a John Hyatt song called Have a Little Faith in Me. And it's just John playing the piano. And have a little faith in me. And have a little faith in me. And have a little faith in me. Have a little faith in me 
it was kind of like me saying, it's okay. Yeah. Right? Yeah, exactly. Right? It was the music that enabled me to deal with it. It reminded you of who you really are. Yeah. And what what you might just do next. Yeah. Because you quit going down the tubes and it sent you, either neutralized you or had you look at a higher frequency of possibility. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. How fantastic. Oh, my gosh, Molly, that is just wonderful. You know, I, I, like I said, I'm working on this new record and, and uh, we had an, a pile of VHS tapes videotapes underneath the uh-huh. underneath our office desk here and, <laughs> and and they just sat there forever and we said oh well, we must get get rid of them and so my wife said oh well let's send them off to get them put onto a disk drive or something i don't know what you do anyway they came back and jen said to me oh there's a couple there one of them says it was a tour you did and i said oh okay so i never bothered to look at it or anything and, <laughs> so last weekend I did. I said, I'm going to take the time today to sit and watch that video. So I clicked on it and it was it was me playing at the Hilton Hotel in Brisbane in 1994. Oh, my word. It was a full house, packed. And it was a huge show and it was me singing my own songs with a band. I had never seen the video. And, but the other part about it, and this is the most remarkable part, is there were, I don't know, maybe I did 25 songs, 15 of them, I'd forgotten I'd written those songs. Oh my gosh. And they are great songs. So here, I have already sent 10 songs to my record company and the record company has said, yep, they're fantastic. Oh my goodness. They are damn, those songs are fantastic. Let's make that record. And, oh. and I'm saying, okay, sweet. Let's, let's get in the business of making the record. Let's start the process, right? So, and then I find a tape with 15 other songs that are as good, if not better, than the 10 oh songs I've word. submitted to the record company. <laughs> so here I am. Now I've got 25 songs. <laughs> and... So yet, yes, just yesterday I sat in my little studio here and I recorded 10 of the songs from that tape from 1994. Oh, Dan, that's so wonderful. And, and not only – these are songs that I wrote – I mean, I'd gone through a horrific divorce back then. I'd been I – was, I was 20 years younger than I am now, 25 years younger yeah. than I am now. So this is, these are songs written by my 20-year-old guy. And yeah. I'd totally, totally forgotten that I'd written these songs. And so listening to them, and then here I was yesterday singing them again. Wow. Will you play one? One of the lyrics. I, I, I should play you one, shouldn't I? But li- I think li- listen so. to the lyric. This is this is part this is this is I'm just trying to find it here. Um the, the lyric I wrote, this is my twenty-three-year-old guy, right? Um, oh, I can't wait. I was the gambler. You were my stakes. You were the bender and I was the shakes. 
I was the moonlight, you were the dark, and I was the script that you wrote around the part of your temper. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's a 25-year-old, right? I was the banker and you were the thief and I was the refugee with a handout for relief. I was the soldier and you were the war and I was the sailor who weathered the storm of your temper. Oh. <sighs> Be still my heart. Right. So I was the flood and you were the dry and I were the tears that welled in the eye of your temper. Uh, <laughs> right. And I was 20 something. I never knew you were crying till I saw you hiding and I never knew you were hiding till I saw you crying. That made me sad and it was so much sadness for to harbour just for one. I'm sorry for all I've said and done. Whoa. Whoa. 20, so, 23 so, years old. My God. So you were... In, I, I hate to say victim archetype because sometimes people take that with a negative connotation. Yeah. So in my workshops, I call it the orphan archetype because we feel kicked to the curb, uh, abandoned, all the things you feel with the victim. But I call it the orphan, our inner orphan that feels left. Yeah. And um, so your orphan archetype wrote those <laughs> yeah. and it was very activated, but you know what? And I, I can be really obnoxious cause I speak archetype. I can't help myself, but did this continue in your life? I mean, your lyrics are stunning. So did your passion for writing lyrics, um, is it still alive and well in oh, you? Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. So the poet is one of your archetypes. Oh, my word. No, 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 no. I've, as I say, I've written, I've written ten, 10 songs for this, for this new record. I've, I've, I've written them in the last six months. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, but I, I don't know that I've written anything quite as, as gritty as, wow. as, as, as that um, in my 20s. I mean, you know, I mean, I've got a great new song that I wrote 12 months ago called Break Lights. And it's a, you know, it's, it's all about hope and, and dreams and seeing the shining of break lights in somebody else's eyes and, mm. uh, and which is a lovely song and a lovely thought. But yeah, but I mean, I, I don't think of myself as a victim. I don't think of myself as anything other really than a, well, a you survivor. Felt, I mean, it doesn't, we go through periods of time where we feel sad and let down and a relationship isn't working that's our orphan archetype responding it doesn't mean you live that it means you went through a period of time but what is really lovely about music artists and i see this in you is your sage and your inner magician is able to go back and take those songs and reconstitute them get them on an album that from a high vantage point, you're saying I'm putting these out into the world to soothe those who are going through a hard time. So you're not being the victim putting it out. Your sage is saying, you need this, here you go. It's, it's going to be great for people who are needing that. Yeah. Wow. So it's a real powerful place to come from with past things, past phases you've gone through. I mean, you have such a over-the-game-board view of it now, right? Like, you're not in that state anymore. 
she's not breaking your heart anymore. Your 23-year-old heart has mended. But so now you get to deliver it to the world from a really powerful place. And that's fun. Wow. <laughs> Holy cow. Wow. Because that same, um, that same kid, <laughs> was like I was a kid, yeah. you know, wrote, um, fears of sorrow and tears of grief swirl beneath me as I try to sleep, but I'm all right. I just like to keep things inside. I'll be all right as long as you are by my side. I, I'm all right. I will survive. Oh. And, and, and yeah, yeah, right. And you go, oh, wow, you know, like, sure, I wrote that. And then just like 12 months ago when I, I wrote this Break Lights song, I'm, I'm writing whole, that I'm holding doubt like a candlelight, but stained glass shining on you when hearts blend and stretch until they twang and come together again. Whoa! <laughs> oh my God! <laughs> right? And You're then, killing me. I know. And and, and then there's the, the 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 chorus is midnight, and the stars are shining through, and break lights shining in your pearly blues. Friendship, death, and love like sleeping off a heavy night. Don't expect wisdom from the wise. Just listen to your heart. And so oh. now, like so, so you know, like I just write and don't really think much about the impact on other people. But you've just made me think about that. That's an amazing thing, Molly. You are shaping other people's psyches. There's a scale, 1 to 22, that's understood in the psychology world as the span of human emotion. Number one being great bliss, empowerment, love. That's number one. To number 22, hopelessness, despair, shame, everything that makes you want to crawl under the covers, and all the emotions in between. And what music does is it helps us make a jump. You know, sometimes some people can put on music and say, oh, when I'm really low, I just have to put on this song and I'm high as a kite. Well, that's rare. And you got to hold on to that song. If you have a song that truly pulls you out of the chemical cocktail that you're in, but usually songs just jump you up a few notches and you go, okay, I, I see the light at the end of the tunnel. This song is telling me I might have it in me because, well, the lyrics, that obviously someone felt this way. So that's what musicians do for us. It's a healing leap, <laughs> a possibility of saying, huh, Maybe I could feel a little better, have a little hope. Maybe it's not so dark. Or if you're already in a great mood and you listen to a really up positive song, it helps you maintain that. So you can sustain that by listening to music and your frequency and your immune system and all the chemicals in your body are going, yeah, let's stay here. This is good. And so there's certain music your song about the way does that for me. It helps me maintain one of those higher frequencies like empowerment, um, hope. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So you have a big responsibility as a musician. Don't feel any pressure, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, 
I mean, I've been playing live for 40 years. and right. And just before we went back into lockdown, I was playing at a pub not far from my house and there was a group of people at the table right at the very front and they were sort of looking at me and it was weird that it wasn't and they, they didn't seem like normal normal sort of <laughs> they were looking at me in a very peculiar way and i was sort of getting this vibe from them and i was thinking what's going on here something's going on here and i didn't know what it was i took a break and one of them said have you got a minute and i said yeah yeah and i sort of went over and said and as i got close to them i realized oh my gosh these guys used to come and see me play 30 years ago. <gasps> yeah. And one of the girls there, uh, so she was 40, I played at her 21st birthday party. Oh, my goodness. And, and she was 40. So it was 19 years ago. And so they used to come and see me all the time. And now we've connect, reconnected and, you know, now they're back in my life and I'm back in their life again. And, and they were saying, oh, you know, they were great days. We, you know, we used to come and see you every, every week and, you know, the, and they were saying, oh, can you play this song? And I was like, oh, I haven't played that song <laughs> since those days. And so I could get up, pick up the guitar, and I played it word for word. The song, oh, right, my goodness. Right? So, so I didn't have to relearn it. I didn't, they're just in there. The songs are just in there. I don't know. I've got a, like a 400-song 400, <laughs> 400 repertoire or something. I don't know. It's, it's, a rain, <laughs> oh, it's a Rain Man thing kind of like, I don't know. <laughs> right. And, 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 and they said to me, um, but we've reconnected. And, and so – you know, on Facebook and sending me text messages and, and stuff and, the you know, sending, hey, have you heard this song? Have you heard that song? And it's just such a lovely thing that a friendship and a connection is there because, no. of, because of music. That tie always stayed there. Yeah, music. Oh, uh, yeah, music. It's such a blessing. It's such a wonderful, wonderful joy and a... And a wonderful thing in my life that I'm just so, so pleased and, and delighted that um, I've been given the gift I have, I guess. And it's, I never, yes. ever, ever lose sight of that. Um, it's just the most wonderful thing. And uh, the beauty is my children have a gift, you know. They can, oh, they do can, they? They, they, are. they can sing and they can play music and they love music mm. and Music That's is a big great. part of their life. Oh, Molly, goodness, I could talk to you for days. Oh, this, It's fun, it's, isn't it? It's been such a delight to talk to you. I, I, I've got about 50 questions that I didn't get to, but one, of the one, one thing I did want to mention was the quote on your website from Joseph Campbell. People always say what we are looking for is the meaning for life. I think what we're looking for is the experience of being alive. Yeah. Oh, I just, when I read that, I was like, wow, that is yeah. so great. And isn't that what the Camino wakes up in people? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, let me ask you one thing. Okay. What would you say to somebody listening to this today who's thinking of walking the Camino? Oh, um, if you're thinking about it, you already have the call. So why would you waste time? I know uh, the world situation could keep you from waiting, but just know you're going to do it. You're already hooked. So just know you're going to do it and figure out how it's going to happen. Wow. 
you can try to talk yourself out of it, but the call is always there. It's the hero's, it's the call of the hero in the hero's journey. You've received the call and you can deny it just like I did when Patrick first mentioned it. But look, it came up two years later and said, no, you're going like, you're kidding. I am. And anyone who's listening, if you have an inkling, uh, you have the bug, there's no turning back. Just figure out how to get there. I'm so pleased that I was able to capture your spirit for an hour. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, I'm just, I mean, you're on one side of the world and I'm here and down under locked, locked in. Uh, I'm just so pleased I was able to just capture you for an hour. So thank you. And congratulations on the work that you do, Molly. Oh, thank you. Absolute joy to talk to you. You know, um, I've most probably I've most probably got to sing you that song, haven't I? I think you need to. This guitar, you, you talked about an acoustic guitar, right? Mm-hmm. You're putting this, a spell on me right now. This guitar was given to me. This guitar belonged to my little brother who passed away. Oh. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's a um it's a, it's a Martin. It's a mahogany slothead mm-hmm. Martin. It's an absolutely beautiful guitar. And, um, and I've been recording using these, I've got some beautiful microphones here and this guitar is just so, so gorgeous. And when I was, I was recording, I thought, how will I do this song? So, you know, um, remember that I was, I was reading those lyrics and they see if I can do it. I was the banker, you were the thief. I was a refugee with my hand out for relief I was a soldier, you were the war I was a sailor who weathered the storm of your temper Your temper I never knew you were crying till I saw you hiding I never knew you were hiding till I saw you crying Don't you know that that made me sad So much sadness to harbor just for one That made me sad I'm sorry for all I've said and done Said and sorry for all I've said and done I was the gambler, you were the stakes I was the bender, you were the shakes I was the moonlight, you were the dark And I was the script that you wrote around the part of your temper Your temper I never knew you were crying till I saw you hiding And I never knew you were hiding till I saw you crying Don't you know that that made me sad 
So much sadness to harbor just for one That made me sad I'm sorry for all I've said and done Sad and sorry for all I've said and done 20-something years old. <laughs> wow. <laughs> imagine, imagine <laughs> writing something like that when you're 20-something. Gosh, yeah. That guy is still in there. Hey, what about that? Yeah, isn't that fun? Isn't that so much fun? Listen, thank you so much, Molly. It's been an absolute delight to talk to you. And I'm going to finish uh, by giving you a website um, so people can find you if, if they want to get some music therapy and some help and some love and some joy. Because music is just so important in all of our lives. And I, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me today. It's been a pleasure. It's been a delight. Thanks, Molly. Buen Camino. Buen Camino. My guest this week, Molly Lord. You can find Molly at mollylord.com. mollylord.com. Thanks for your company this week and every week. Oh, wow. A bit self-indulgent this week <laughs> to be talking a lot about myself, which I don't normally do. But I thoroughly enjoy having your company each and every week. Thank you so much. I adore art when I'm alone with my notes, my heart pounds and the tears stream from my eyes and my emotion and my joys are too much to bear. Giuseppe Verdi. I wish I'd written it, but it's just so perfect. I adore art when I'm alone with my notes, my heart pounds and the tears stream from my eyes and my emotion and my joys are too much to bear. Thanks for your company. Until next week, I'm Dan Mullins. Buen Camino. Mm -hmm.